Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 38 of the More Than Corporate podcast. This week on the show, I had the opportunity to interview Cam Manning. I met Cam when I went to the Unleash You Now event in November earlier this year. He was one of the speakers, and he did a fantastic job on stage. I had an opportunity to connect with him and realized that I just loved his energy and loved his story and wanted to be able to have an opportunity to bring him on the show. Cam worked for someone else for about 10 years, and then he made the decision to start his own company. He's the owner and CEO of Next Steps Media. The goal of Next Steps Media is to help businesses take those next steps in capturing marketing share through social media and through content marketing. His goal is also to help people find their passion and convince the world that taking your passion and converting it to a career is the best thing that someone can do. In the interview with Cam, we went through a ton of rabbit holes and I loved every minute of it. So hopefully you will enjoy the conversation as well. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Cam. Cam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited for it. Absolutely. I'm super excited to have you. So for those of you who don't know, I met Cam at this amazing conference called Unleash You Now in Delaware earlier this month. And mm-hmm. He was one of the speakers that were there, but he was one of so many amazing speakers that shared their wisdom and insight with us. So I'm super excited to have him on the show. So what I'd like to do is just let everybody get to know you just a little bit. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Texas, uh, which is how I I started things. So if people always say, you know, like, what are you like German or English or whatever? And I just tell people that I'm Texan and that's a good enough, that's a good enough answer for me. So uh, yeah, I was born in born in Texas. I lived really in the South all my life. It's been Texas, Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina. I've uh, been where I've grown up. Uh, very, um, I've had an awesome childhood. When we lived in Atlanta, my dad worked for Cartoon Network. Oh, nice. So yeah, so between the ages, or you know, up until the age of nine, my that my dad worked at Cartoon Network, so it just made childhood a lot of fun. Uh, so I got sure. some good, yeah, got some good stories there. Uh, it was awesome, man. I had a great childhood. My mom, we were in a position where my dad worked and that allowed my mom to stay at home and hang out with my brother and I. So we never went through daycares or we never went through babysitters or anything like that. So uh, that was amazing. Uh, parents still happily married going on 34 years almost. That's uh, so cool. Congrats to them. Thank you. Yeah. And it's rare too. Nowadays I hang out with people and I'm almost in the minority because my parents are still together, which is the weird thought. Um, so I don't take that for granted knowing, knowing what some of my friends have gone through and what, you know, a lot of people are going through now. I don't take for granted that my parents are still together and I've got one older brother, uh, and he gave me uh, a nephew, so I get to be an uncle now, so I get to play in the uncle world. That's so awesome. I I share your sentiment about parents being married. I remember being, I mean, I grew up in a super small town, and everybody seemed to have happy relationships, but um, I remember having some friends that their parents were together, and I'm like, man, what would that be like? Like, Mm. we're so blessed to not have to understand that. Yes. So I'm interested to know, like, I'm always interested when people take an entrepreneurial path, which we'll get to in just a minute as far as your business is concerned, but what it was like for them growing up as far as work ethic and things to that effect. So your dad worked for Cartoon Network. Was he entrepreneurial at all? Was he contract or what was that like for you? Um, Did you have entrepreneurialism around you? Uh, So not really, actually. Uh, The entrepreneurial kind of... I guess life creeped in later on for my dad. Uh, We ended up in Florida. He worked for Daytona National Speedway, uh, had a couple of different jobs in Florida, and then really went out on his own after the age of 40. Like 40 plus was really when he started venturing out on his own. And what did he do when he ventured out? Did he still do animations and things like that? 
no, no. So what my dad did at Cartoon Network was, so back in the, the early 90s and into the 2000s, Cartoon Network had a uh, logo on a NASCAR. They bought the rights to primary logo on a NASCAR. And so they had a team. So my dad ran that. They actually created that department and gave it to my dad because his background is broadcasting and PR and all this other stuff. So like that was what he did. Um, so he didn't do the animations or anything, although that would have been sweet. But yeah, he, he went into business. He owned a couple of like laundromats and then him and his brother went into pest control and uh, office uh, cleaning they've just gone into a bunch of stuff it's really been with him and his brother oh, that's uh, my awesome. uncle is really when it started picking up for him and he kind of started figuring it all out is when he went into which is interesting going into business with family right because we always see those alerts and red flags always start popping up but that was actually when my dad found the most success because that was what my uncle had done so my uncle had been entrepreneurial since he was about 17 he was trying to find ways to just not work for anybody else uh, so I was around it in that sense, but my dad got into the game pretty late and I got into the game. Well, I mean, earlier, I guess, cause I'm not, you know, I'm not 40 yet, but, but yeah, it kind of showed up to me the older really until high school, maybe even into college and a little bit after that is really when that started showing up in my life. So I wasn't around it for a while at all. Was your uncle, like you, we hear people talk about how the idea of an entrepreneur has changed so much from somebody who just couldn't get a job and was trying to do whatever they could <laughs> to somebody that's actually like a thing, an entrepreneur. Um, was that the sentiment in your family or was your uncle always the business owner that was successful? Yeah, my uncle was always, it, it, you know, my, my uncle and I joked because we kind of had the same path towards college. Uh, it took him nine years and four different colleges to graduate. Yes. Uh, it, it took me uh, nine years and four different trips to college, and I haven't graduated and uh, proudly say I won't uh, graduate, which I'm not down on education or anything. That's just my route. It's not anybody else's, but it's mine. Uh, but yeah, he's been successful really from you know the jump. I mean, he started businesses right after college, and then he married a, a woman who was also entrepreneurial. So when they got married, then they started property management. They started painting and carpentry businesses. Like they really dove into it, and they are uh, wildly successful at what they do. That's amazing. One of the things I want to comment on, because I think it's so important, is you not finishing college and being proud of that, because I think that there's so much to unpack there. Um, <laughs> first of all, you know, this podcast was obviously started out of defining your own idea of success. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. it's super, super awesome that you can say, like, screw it, this isn't for me. And I know that. Um, mm. And more than that, like, so much, we put so much time and effort into something and then we have such mm -hmm. a hard time giving up on that thing to go chase what we really want to chase. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what that thought process was like for you? Was it difficult to say, I'm not going to finish college and I'm going to do something else? So it actually wasn't. It's pretty interesting with my family. I am one of the few, and I mean, one, two of us, I am one of the few people in my family that will not have a college degree, right? So that's interesting is being on the flip side of it because you always hear these stories of like, oh, I was the first one to go to college or I was one of the few to graduate. I'm one of the few to not graduate college. But the routes that we took in my family towards college were different. Like my, I had one person that went and they went to become a paralegal. And then my dad went four years and graduated with a bachelor's. And then his mom, went back to school at 60 and got her master's and her doctorate. And then my uncle went, you know, four different colleges for 10 years and he finally did. So everybody had their own route to it. And when it came for me to figure out my route, it got to a point where I just realized that I just, it, I, I tried, I fought it as hard as I could, but it's just not going to be mine. It's just, it's not my, it's not my goal. It's not my thing. And my parents were really supportive of it. Uh, when we figured that out, they said, all right, you know, you don't have to go to college. We're not going to push you to go to college, but you better have an idea of what you want to do. And so that's when I immediately went into the workforce. I actually didn't go into business for myself, but I went into the workforce at about that time because I, I wasn't going to go to college. So were your parents immediately supportive or were they questioning of your decisions? 
they weren't questioning of my decision. They wanted to make sure that I had a good plan opposite of school. So it wasn't like it was like school or get out of our house kind of thing. It was just, okay, if you're not going to go, that's fine, but you better have a good backup plan. Love it. So you go into the workforce and um, what, so your, your business now, Next Step mm-hmm. Media is mm-hmm. um, obviously social media marketing and content marketing, and which yeah. makes sense when you explain now your father's job at Cartoon Network that kind of yeah. puts two and two together. Were you oh, yeah. doing marketing in the corporate world as well? Uh, uh, not really, actually. I, <laughs> I did this. I, I, un- for me, it was a joke. I don't know if I really want to say it out loud, but I started working at about 19 and, you know, my story is kind of after 10 years in the workforce, I figured out that I wanted to work for myself. So in the last 10 years, I tallied up the amount of jobs that I had and, uh, it's not a good ratio. We'll see. It's not, <laughs> It's not ideal for somebody that works for a living. Um, I, I feel I like that's the entrepreneurial way though. Like how many times do we hear people say, I just like couldn't, couldn't make it work? Yeah, I couldn't. I could not stay at one place for too long. And, you know, when I had people that looked at my resume list and they were like, geez, dude, like pick a place and figure it out. <laughs> uh, but it plays to like what you said, that that was a seed that I didn't know was being planted for how differently I wanted to look at the work life. Like the fact that I had 13 jobs in 10 years should probably be a sign that I just wasn't going to be able to work for other people. Was, um, <laughs> <laughs> were those 13 jobs in the same industry or did you span no. around like the world? I went from working at a bowling center I worked at a 7-Eleven. I worked at a company that did digital education software creation for universities. I worked at Publix. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I worked nice. everywhere. Absolutely. So um, I'm interested to know because so much of doing something right in business is figuring out how to do it wrong, right? Cool. Like when... When we get somewhere, we're like, I still don't know what I want to do, but I sure know what I don't want to do. So when it comes to doing things like that, where you have all of these different jobs, did you, can you look back and say, okay, as far as business is concerned, I learned what not to do from this job and I learned what not to do from this job and that helped you in your business? Absolutely. So I, I can actually give you both sides of it. I can figure out what the, the right things that I learned and the wrong things that I learned. So the wrong thing was the idea of, and this is super cliche, but once I realized it, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like the idea of I have to be in at this time and I have to leave at this time and I have to break it, right? So just the idea of not having my day-to-day schedule for myself, I think I realized early that I just didn't like that. I'm very stubborn. Uh, (laughs) It's got to be the Texas in you. It is. Oh, a hundred percent. It is. And so there was a lot of those concepts of like, Hey, I need you to do this, or I need you to come in, or I need you to work, stay and work a double because somebody called out these, these ideas of other people controlling the life that I lived that day. And I think two things that I did learn was I got to be a manager at a couple of stops that I, that I went to. So I ran um, a target cafe So I managed that. I ran a couple of kiosks while I was living in Raleigh. So I got to manage actually a handful of those around malls. And I realized that I enjoyed managing people, not in the sense of telling them what to do, but um, like where my girlfriend works, they have a phrase that they live by that says, that's called put their, put, put your aces in their places. And I think that's such a great line because I love getting a group of people in a room and figuring out who does the best what and putting them there. That's the basketball coach in me. So I've been coaching basketball half my life too. So those, those play a part in the idea of managing people. And then, and then there were a couple of jobs I got to work where I really got to make my own schedule and the valuing my time during the day as to what it was worth. I love it. I, and so first of all, I'm laughing just a little bit because you called your job stops. And to me, that's hilarious. Like the couple of my stops. Um, but on your point of not wanting or not wanting to be told where to be. So I'm very similar to you in the fact that it took me nine years to get my undergrad. 
Um, I didn't learn. So then I went on for another three years of law school. <laughs> Apparently nine wasn't enough. Um, and then I worked for five years as an associate in a couple of different firms before I decided that that wasn't for me. So I learned really slow apparently. But um, I, when I opened my firm, I can remember sitting in my office and wondering who I was supposed to tell that I was going to launch. Like, oh. I, I, I'm like, what am I, who am I supposed to report to? Who's like, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're your own boss and there's like this, all of a sudden reality hits and you're like, shit, I better figure this crap out fast. Dude. I'm telling you, absolutely. That's what I'm figuring out now is, I mean, my company's not even six months old. And so I'm still very much in, in the, the stage of, and this is what I hope that anybody's listening to this that's thinking about starting their own business. Like, let me tell you just from complete experience at this moment, like it ain't going to be roses for like six to 12 months. Right. And so many people told me that and I thought, oh yeah, you're right. Until you get in the middle of it and it's just that thing you have to experience by yourself. But I'm experiencing that same thing of like, if my alarm goes off in the morning and I turn it off and I sleep until one, nobody's going to care. Like nobody's there to like, hey man, you really need to go do this. You really need to keep yourself accountable. You have to hold your own self accountable. So if you don't do anything that day, nobody cares to tell you like, Hey, you should really think about doing this. So like, dude, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. And that's on you. Right. I remember when I started my office, the guys that I rent my office from who have become great mentors to me, I was so concerned about getting clients in the door and they said, getting clients in the door, isn't going to be the hard part. It's going to be making yourself do the work once they pay you. Like that's the hard part. And I was like, there's no way. And then I realized like distractions are real. And when there's nobody telling you, like it really takes a level of self-discipline that Frankly, I'm glad that I had the experiences that I had in my life up to this point so that I can have that self-discipline that's necessary. And I think that that's where I have such a passion for getting out of your comfort zone comes from because you need to be able to realize what you're capable of so that when those hard times come, you can know that you can push through anything. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, while I was working at all of my stops uh, along the way, I would try and start side hustles or side businesses, right? So one of the things that I talked about too, the, you know, when we were in Delaware is the, the first time I got introduced to really the entrepreneurial lifestyle was when I got introduced to network marketing. And some guy sat down and talked to me about a company I'd never heard of called Amway. And I was like, I got nothing for you on this one, buddy. <laughs> Right. And so, and a lot of people will probably hear this and they'll like cringe or they'll laugh and they'll go, oh, no, we're marketing. Ha ha. Um, I am, I am so much a proponent of it. I'm not currently in it in the moment, but I'm, I'm around it so often. And I love it because it allows people to see that there's a different life and whether or not they want it to the fullest or they, or they don't, that's on them. But for me, I was so grateful to trip and stumble into that world because that's where I learned that there's this whole other place where I can do that for myself. Yeah. And so, yeah. Let, I mean, let's talk about that for a second because I think it's so important. Um, and a couple of things in there. First of all, I'm a huge proponent of network marketing as well. Um, and I think it's changed so much, right? So network marketing got such a bad name because everybody associates network marketing with the old pyramid schemes. And the old pyramid schemes were obviously horrible, like sure. no products, just like making money, right? But now you're selling real things. And I think that companies who are able to bring their product into a network marketing situation are the most brilliant companies on the planet. You don't have to pay I, a sales force. Like, no. It's insane. Um, I, I think it was, it was either T-Mobile or Sprint based their entire theme on the creation of their company off of a network marketing idea. Tupperware was a network marketing company before they sold into the stores and they went, they went global and they went like, you can look at all these things. Amway, the blueprints for Amway, the, the Supreme Court uses how Amway was created to justify if any business is a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme, not just network marketing companies, but any company, they use the blueprints of Amway for it. So I, I'm a huge proponent of it. Like you said, I think there's starting to be a shift, right? So the, the, the definition of a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme is money being exchanged off of an idea or a thought. Right. Right. And that's when that becomes a scheme is when I'm paying you money for this thing that I don't really know. Right. Or I can't really see or I can't be described or I can't, you know, 
touch, taste, feel, anything like that. Where like you said, nowadays they're just, they're goods, they're products that you can get in front of, you can get your hands on, you can use. I think it's amazing. I think it does wonders for people. And also at the very least, and people just don't understand the amount of tax benefits that come with just being involved in it. Like if there's a whole, there needs to be a whole class just taught on the tax benefits of being a small business owner. And the cheapest way you can do it is through network marketing. And it saved people literally thousands to tens of thousands of dollars a year, but they're too busy laughing at it that they don't understand like the actual monetary concept behind it and what it could do for you. Yeah. Well, I think it's also the fact that if, I mean, I've been going to conferences a ton this year. Um, I started with Thrive in March and I've gone to four or five different conferences, which Thrive is another one you need to get to next year. If you haven't gone yet, it's fantastic. What it does though is it opens your mind to the things that are out there. So Mm. we can only see the world in the perspective that we have, right? We only Mm. know what we know. Well, mm-hmm. we can't understand what we don't know. And then you get in a room with people and, and this is what kind of pushed me into the entrepreneur world instead of just the business owner world. Cause you mm-hmm. get in a room with people and you all of a sudden see that this life exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just for these people, right? How many times do we hear people talk about the people that are making six, seven, eight, nine figures a month on like e-commerce, things like that, that that doesn't happen to everybody. That only happens to the first. And then you get yeah. in a room of people that are making five, six figures. I mean, I'll agree that the eight, nine figures is rare, but I don't think it's rare to make six figures on um, e-commerce anymore. I think that it's completely doable. And when you put yourself in these rooms and you surround yourself with these people that do it, you start to realize what the possibilities are. And I think that that's what's missing so much from the people who don't understand network marketing is that they haven't expanded their knowledge and open right. their mind to the fact that it exists. I completely agree. And I get into these conversations with people all the time. They're like, well, the only the guy at the top makes the most money. And I'm like, you're going to use that argument again. Like, You're going to use that argument in this conversation. And I know you're about to walk into a job where you have to clock into. So I was like, here, let me, let me draw you out this weird thing that you call a pyramid. And let me show you the guy <laughs> at the top. That's your boss. Right. So like, if you're going to make that argument, then we have to agree that we're both in the same place, right? Like you can't go to a nine to five job and then yell at me for being involved in something where the, only the guy at the top makes the most money, yeah. which is untrue anyways. But I'm like, it's your job. You can't make your boss's money without becoming your boss. In my world, I can. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think that it's, it's just changed so much Absolutely. and I'm and super excited. Better. Absolutely. I mean, we were, we were just talking about this the other day with Uber, like how, take a pic, take a picture of if you ever thought that they would be the biggest taxi company in the world and they would never own a car. It's insane. So, I mean, it allows people to be able to keep products at a lower price Mm -hmm. than they would other be able, otherwise be able to keep products because you're not paying an hourly rate to somebody. So I don't know. I, this podcast wasn't supposed to be about network marketing, but I love where it's going because it's so important to people's understanding. Yes. That Airbnb, largest property company, don't own a house. All these ticket sales where you can go online and buy tickets, but it's not being sold through the company that's actually running them or right up, right? You've got places like Ticketmaster and StubHub and all these guys that are showing up that are third parties that are making billions of dollars. Like Wish, Wish is an amazing thing. It is a billion dollar company that nobody has ever heard of because they do all their stuff like one way, but they're a third party clothing company. It's, they don't make anything. They just resell stuff online. It's, it's Absolutely. It's Absolutely. It's insane. So when I was at Rise, um, so yeah. Rise um, is real estate um, influence sales and e-commerce. That's what it oh, stands cool. for. And nice. so for the e-commerce side, I had such a hard time grasping this because they were like, you set up your Shopify store and I'm like, but what do I sell? And they're like, you just go off and you find this product. And I'm like, no, like I can find a picture of a product, but what do I sell? And they were talking about like drop shipping and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that like, I don't touch anything Mm. and it just goes from place to place. Like technology has changed the way business works in an Mm. insane way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We have refrigerators now that are smart enough to know when you're low on milk, that they buy it for you. 
and it like shows up on your doorstep that day. Oh my this, gosh. It's, it's insanity. <laughs> It's so insane. And, you know, it's crazy because I've had to shift my mindset because all of these things that are available to me to make my life easier, mm-hmm. I have the old like way that I was raised like in a farm mm-hmm. that's like we do all of our own stuff. So the gotcha. first time that I ever used Instacart to have my groceries delivered to my front door, <laughs> I was like, you are the most lazy <laughs> fully capable person on the planet. Like (laughs) it was not okay. And, and then like my groceries were at my door and I got over it real fast. Like I really felt that way for a minute, but yeah, technology, like, and, and this goes into entrepreneurism too, because when you are your own boss, you have to Mm -hmm. take a look at where you're spending your time and where Mm -hmm. it's most valuable because Mm -hmm. you don't have the time to go do things that you would pay somebody less than 20 bucks an hour to do. Like, pay them, let them do it and spend your time where you need to. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where, oh my gosh. Uh, We can talk about all the companies that just boggle my mind and yeah. It's insane. And it's, it's so innovative though. Like we, I was just talking to somebody, we were talking about the blockbuster Netflix thing. So we were talking about how Netflix just um, raised their prices again and how they make like some of, they have, so many subscribers paying like 10 bucks a month. And I don't know if you remember this story of Blockbuster turning down buying Netflix for $50 million. And now they're oh, worth yeah. like 20 billion. And Blockbuster's out of- And Blockbuster's yeah. not in business. And so it all comes down to being able to change and being mm-hmm. able to be innovative and how we can yeah. do that in business and how we can do that as entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And you see that in one, I always go back, I always make sports analogies just because that's the world I grew up in. And it's the same thing. You, you see it with coaches that refuse to change and they end up just getting passed by and passed by until finally they get fired and they never get hired again because they don't, nobody cares about the wishbone anymore. Right. (laughs) It's just, nobody does like the, sorry, you know, nobody cares about you. You should only play the seniors and juniors. Now you can't play the freshmen until they've earned it or whatever. It's like, no, you, Right. And so absolutely, you have to be able to change and, and adapt. And that's why Amazon got to be where it is now. Like Amazon is coming for Walmart's throat and Amazon's going to win. Well, of Amazon's, course. Amazon's going to win that game. And it's because Walmart didn't want to change. 100%. When they, when they did change, when, when Walmart's original, not original owners, but back in the early 90s, I wasn't even around to understand this, but just going through business stories and stuff, you hear it. The ownership changed from the dad to the sons. And that is when Walmart changed in the worst way possible. They'd have 40 lines, but only three would be open. The sons started cutting corners because they wanted to put as much money in their pocket as they could, in their pocket as they could. And that was when Walmart went on the downside. And now they're trying to come back uphill the only problem is Amazon is standing on the hill that they're trying to climb back up. Well, yeah, because kind of Amazon's on everybody's hill right now. So Ooh, I, I think that I was listening to a podcast with Gary Vee, and he was talking about how um, he thinks that experiences are obviously coming back more than products. So there was mm-hmm. a point in time where we just wanted our stuff really, really quickly. And now mm-hmm. as we get into this new area, people are realizing that like money can't buy everything you want. And we're mm-hmm. getting into this like mental health is important side of sure. you know, society. And so now experiences are becoming more important. And he was talking about how he thinks that the next best um, major business is an experiential bookstore. like. Um, Barnes and Noble on steroids, like just creating a hard bookstore where people can go and have an experience like they've never been able to have before with like reading books and however you make that happen. I don't know what the answer to that is, but I found it interesting because Gary Vee's always so on it with what's coming in the future that moving back into hard brick and mortar experience places was something that he saw coming in the future. Interesting. I like it. I mean, everything is cyclical. So, you know, eventually that stuff is going to come back around until, you know, it's obsolete or whatever. But I do like the idea of experience-based things coming back around. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I think it also shows up in, I mean, I know you're part of a mastermind. I um, have not joined a um, physical mastermind yet, but I'm in multiple online ones. Um, And it comes down to the same reason that these are so successful. 
because it's the people you get to be around and the experiences that you get to have in them. Absolutely. And it's the, you know, the way I started my company was all based off of one word and it was community. So I believe as a buyer, I always thought that I'm going to buy from a place that I have some sort of emotional connection to, regardless if I've created that emotional connection for myself or if somebody there has created, where like, I don't know, Wawa, perfect example. I will stop it. Like I'm stopping at Wawa. That's the gas station that I'm hunting for if I'm in an area. I've never met anybody high up at Wawa. I have no idea who any of the people are there, but I've created that emotional connection for myself. And so I stop at Wawa or I stop at Pilot J or Flying J or Pilot. I'll stop at those if I'm traveling long distance. If I'm in a city, it's Wawa. If I'm going long distance on the highway, like I've created that. And it's because because I've created that emotional connection, which for consumers, that means that businesses are starting to create a community. And I think that's where a lot of things are headed now. That's where a lot of businesses are going is they want to start creating a community of customers. So everybody kind of feels like they're in it together. And that's where I come from with that is I want to, our goal in Next Steps Media is to help businesses create communities of customers. I love Uh, it. And, but that's what the mastermind thing is. That's why the one that I'm in, I love so much because it feels like a community. It just feels like a bunch of friends that get together on like a Saturday morning and just talk. Well, I mean, besides the fact that the people in your mastermind are like the best people on the planet. So I'm, they're pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm biased. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, they're pretty amazing. I'm, I'm actually interviewing Michael later today. So are you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about um, Next Step Media for a minute. So Absolutely. you've been in to. business for about six months. Um, yeah. Talk to me about what your vision is and where you want to see um, the business go. Oh, okay. So uh, the big time. So the reason why I was actually just talking to somebody about this a, a little while ago. There was a reason why I made it Next Steps Media instead of Next Steps Marketing. I was looking at both, but ultimately I want to be in the media world, right? Everything that the word media means to people when they hear it, I'm trying to be in all those spaces when we grow it to where, where I want to go. So that's my, my end game is getting to there, right? Getting in all of those spaces and everything because I... I, I like a whole bunch of different stuff. And if I can get paid to be in all those different areas, then I want to be in all those different areas. Well, and I think it's super smart of you too, because we were just talking about innovation and mm-hmm. not being able to really predict where things are going to go and want to be mm-hmm. able to adapt. And so I think the more broad you can make your, your name of your company while still being specific enough to reach mm-hmm. your target market, the yeah. longer you're going to last. That's what I'm, I'm aiming for. I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that that's, you know, I'm surrounding myself with enough smart people that I believe I'm going to be around for a while, if not for my own uh, smarts and good looks, but for other people's smarts and good looks. And one of the other things, too, that I've started to find is I, I've started to find that I'm actually better at working with companies that are B2C instead of B2B. Oh, I nice. Have nothing, I have nothing against B2B. I love B2B. I still want to be in that space. But when we're talking about developing a community, I'm going to the customers, therefore I'm in the B2C world, which yeah. I, I, I love a lot more. So, so right now that the goal is to create that for, for companies on the B2C level, uh, small, small market companies. Um, and then we'll work into the medium and the larger companies, obviously, but right now it's small, uh, you know, small businesses and we're looking to, change how they market and advertise and market to the customer and because we buy people we don't buy products well 100 percent um i think that the you were talking about the emotional connection earlier and everybody has an emotional connection for why they buy um are you familiar with donald miller and the story brand marketing idea maybe so If you haven't, you should check out their book called Story Brand Marketing. And the idea behind it is that there are seven parts to a good story. Like if you're going to sit down and read a book, that book is going to have seven parts and it's a hero and a villain and Mm. a whole bunch of other things. Um, And the businesses that do very, very, very well are the businesses that are able to make their customers the hero of the story. And Mm. so it's not the businesses, like so many businesses are going out there saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm the hero. 
whereas what they should actually be is the guide, the, um, the Yoda of the marketing world. Like they should be guiding their customer into being the hero, hero of solving their problems. So it's actually a pretty like interesting way to look at marketing. Um, sure. And especially when you're doing B2C business, I think it's super important. Yeah, I will absolutely look at that book. I'm, I'm surprised and upset that I haven't heard it up until now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. So the book's really good. He also has a podcast called Building oh, a Story Brand. Nice. So yeah, yeah, it's super cool. And they go through a ton of stuff. So anyways, um, kind of down your alley and in your niche. So Absolutely, absolutely. So as far as your business goes, you're obviously um, six months into a unknown lifelong dream, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what challenges have you faced so far? Like what's been the biggest challenge for you to overcome and how have you forced yourself to do that? Oh goodness. Uh, so for me, this has always been my crutch, which is not a great crutch to have if you're trying to go into business for yourself, but mine has always been, uh, scheduling. It just, it just is, there's, we all have, you know, our kryptonite and mine is scheduling. So mine is sticking to that schedule. So, you know, right now I'm just getting started. So I'm not, I'm not as busy right now as I'm going to be in eight months or 12 months, but it's the idea of creating a schedule now so that when I do get busier, I can just implement into those empty slots now, but I've got them already scheduled out. They're already divvied up. Everything's already good to go. Um, so it's, it really starts with me being in a better, you know, the scheduling will help me be in a better mindset uh, to start the day. So when that alarm clock goes off, it's not snooze and then sleep for another 90 minutes. It's you know, boom, we're good to go. And we're, we're attacking the day, whatever it is. And the other thing too, and I hope somebody hears this the way I want to say it is understanding that when you start, not every day is going to be a 17 hour day. Yes. If, I, if I, I, yeah. Yeah. If I start, if I start a business and granted, I want to be busy all day long, but there are some days where I have five things I have to do and it may take me two hours to do those five things. And instead of being mad that I don't have 11 hours of busy work to be very happy that I got all five of those things done in those two hours, then now I can go do whatever I want for the rest of the day, whether it's chasing more work or just being with friends and family. No, 100%, 100%. And, you know, there's studies that show that we only get five hours of productive work in a day. Mm -hmm. That after five hours, your brain's, you're, you're not really doing anything. And I know I've experienced it. I'm, I'm going to guess you probably have to because you have a human brain. But yeah. um, where you're sitting there and you're like, I need to be working, I need to be working. And you can, you're thinking about everything but work. Exactly. And what was really big for me along the lines of what you just said was giving myself permission to leave. Like mm. it's one o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like, okay, I'm getting nothing done. So yeah. why don't I take an hour and sure. go do something else and yep. then come back and actually be productive? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I think I'm still... I think everybody tweaks and, you know, everybody evolves kind of through it. But I think that's one of the big things that I'm learning right now is that ability of like, if I stop what I'm doing and go do something completely different for an hour and a half, I'm not a failure. I haven't failed anybody. I haven't failed my life. I haven't failed my business. I just needed that break because I just wasn't going anywhere. And that's fine. 100%. And I feel like that doesn't get talked about a lot. Enough. No. It doesn't get talked about enough at all. I feel like people think that they need to be busy all the time, like mm. you said. And I don't want to be busy all the time. I want to be productive for a short period of the day and then mm -hmm. be able to go off and do what I want to do. And, you know, scheduling is so important, like you were talking about, because if you only have two or three things on your schedule and you're unable to stick to that schedule, you're not going to be able to stick to a schedule that you got 20 things on. And so I feel like so many times we sit back and we say, oh, I'll deal with this when I get busier. I'll deal with this when I get busier. And we forget that yeah. we won't because these are the habits we're building now. And I see a lot yeah. of um, business owners fall into that habit of it's not important right now because I'm not busy and they're not mm. thinking about the habits they're creating. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the ways that I'm starting to look at it is 
when this business gets off and going and I, you know, hopefully have more speaking gigs or I'm doing more traveling, the 17 hour days will not be hard to come by in the next two to three years moving forward. Like they just won't be, they're going to be there. I just have to be prepared for them now and not fight my way through being up for 17 hours for no reason. But like when the business is going, when I'm talking, when I'm married, when I have kids, like 17 hour days are going to be real easy to come by. Oh, absolutely. So I, I'm not fighting to get there any quicker than I need to. Well, and I think that the dream that we all hope for is um, finding that thing where you work 17 hour days and you don't feel like you've worked an hour. Absolutely. And that's, again, for me, going back to the idea of why I went into business for myself or why I decided to finally let that entrepreneurial gene take over in me is I just, I want to go do and be, and I want to do all those things every day while I'm working. Like when, when I was there doing everything for the event in Delaware, I didn't feel like I worked for a second. I had so much fun doing that. And next year, uh, the conference, we, we almost have a location for unleash you now too. Like, you know, that's going to be announced by the end of the year. Um, super stoked for that. Super stoked. I'm very excited. I potentially may have gotten some business while I was there that weekend. And, and well, so, and that's you know, always the dream. I mean, you, you go to these events, um, for whether you're a speaker or an attendee for the purpose mm -hmm. of getting something out of it. But it's mm -hmm. always nice when you can go and provide value to somebody else and then get something in return as well, even though that's not the intended result. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Uh, you know, I just, I want to be around people that are going to fire me back up. And yeah. 100%. Those kind, those they definitely do. Holy crap. They had a good lineup. So let's mm -hmm. talk about your speaking for a minute. So how did you get into awesome. public speaking? Uh, <laughs> I, I, Oh man, I don't know how to answer that. Not that it's it's a very easy answer. I like to talk and I like to be in a room where people have to hear me uh, talk and they have to listen. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, I've I've always been a talker. I've always been a performer growing up. I did the drama stuff. I did all that kind of things as a kid. Like if there was an audience, I'm going to perform for it. In some way, shape or form, I'm going to. And that manifested kind of into coaching. I did broadcasting. I did TV and radio for sports. Uh, just all of those kinds of things. I'm a youth leader at my church. I've been able to preach uh, at my church. I'll have the opportunity to preach at a couple other churches coming up, which I'm really excited about. I was never one to always want to be the center of attention, but I like talking in front of people which seems very weird to say but I don't I don't like it when everything's about me but I love being able to give something to people in whatever that is yeah and, that makes complete sense to me okay I love that's good yeah. um yeah I I love I just love talking and I love I love talking to people I told Mike Mike offered me that speaking gig a year and some odd months ago and I was at a dead-end job I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Next Steps wasn't even an idea, uh, much less around. It wasn't, it was non-existent in any way, shape or form. Uh, and he said, you know, he said, I said, I've got nothing to talk about. He said, you'll figure it out. And, uh, and lo and behold, by, by the time the talk came around, I had it figured out. Uh, and I told him, I said, you'll never put enough people in a room to scare me. I don't care if it's a stadium, whatever, like you're not going to scare me with the amount of people that are going to be in front of me. So. Uh, Mike, Mike was the reason I, I got started in public speaking in that, in that atmosphere. Uh, he took a chance on me uh, when, you know, he'd never heard me talk. He knew I talked. He knew I preached or I do small gigs or small talking stuff uh, to high school kids and middle school kids. But he never heard me talk. He had no idea what I was going to talk about. I mean, he literally, other than us being friends, he literally took me sight unseen a year before the event was going to happen and had faith enough in me that I was going to be ready to go when he called me. You know, he's such a good judge of character. And honestly, like he put such a good group of people together to just be able to say, go do your thing. Cause I know whatever you're going to do is going to add value to the people that are here. And what I thought was really interesting is I know that he wanted to have that event in Georgetown, even mm -hmm. knowing that 
they weren't going to get as much business out of it than they would somewhere else. But that was important. But what I really felt like was that everybody that was in that room was supposed to be there for one reason or another. Like we had such a small group of people and it made it amazing to be able to actually truly connect with everybody and understand everybody's story, even the speakers. Oh, it, it was it was awesome. You know, there's just, there's so many stories that I could, that I could tell this could turn into a three hour conversation very <laughs> easily. Um, but I, I will say that, and I don't, I don't want to go too, you know, into it cause I don't want to give anybody's business out, but you would be shocked at the amount of speakers that were there on their own dime, just because they believed in Mike and his vision and what he wanted to do. Yeah. And that says it all. Yep. For me, that says it all. When you're willing to pull people from all around the, the country and even a couple of people outside of the country to show up and talk and the amount of people that showed up on their own dime and said, don't worry, I'll cover it, whatever. Like I believe in you and what you're doing. That to me says more than if the room is fancy than if the, the hotel is fancy and if the you know, business signs are fancy and if everybody's in three piece, you know what I mean? Like that says more to me than anything else. And the fact that we had the size that we did, I just thought that the speakers could interact and engage with each other. We could interact and engage with the people who were there and attending. It made the, the VIP meet and greets even cooler. It made the after hours meetups even better. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was so fantastic. Well, and I want to take a minute to give a shout out to, to, I mean, all the speakers were amazing, but Trent Shelton and Charlie Jabali to stick around like they did. I mean, it would have been easy for them to come in and say, you know, this is such a small crowd. I'm just going to treat it like a small crowd. And Mm -hmm. instead we got the best of them just like anybody else. And for Trent to come chill with us afterwards and just like, I mean, it it says a lot about who they are and what's important to them. Yeah. And I was really impressed by both of them. I mean, I was impressed by all of the speakers, but for speakers sure. of that caliber to just chill with us was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see that at all. And Trent even spoke to it on stage. He was there because of Mike's story. And when Mike reached out to Trent and just kind of unloaded the story and the background and what it meant and why we were doing this and all these kinds, when, like you said, when you get somebody of that caliber to go, I just believe this isn't a paycheck for me. I believe in what this guy's doing to stay around and hang out and do all that. It's, it's, it's crazy. And the majority of the speakers and, and travel situations are what they are. So it's not like I'm dogging on anybody, but we had the opportunity where the majority of the speakers stayed for at least a full day and a handful of us stayed for the entire weekend. And again, travel schedules are what they are. So I'm not dogging people that didn't like people had to get in and out. They had other things they had to go do, but you don't see that at events where there are 23 speakers for way more than, than half of them to be able to stay for one or more days, if not the whole weekend is insane. You like, you never see that. And it was just cool to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I wanted to go down this rabbit hole just a little bit because I figured this was where it was going to go. And I truly believe, and, and this has been said over and over again throughout my podcast episodes, that the only way that you can really be fulfilled in life and figure out what you want to what you want to do and what impact you're going to have in the world is to be like truly authentic with who you are and Mm. completely vulnerable about the impact you want to make on the world. And Mm. Mike's story with putting this conference together is complete evidence of that. And like you said, being able to bring people together just because they believe in what he's doing, if he's closed off and if he's not willing to talk about all the things that he's gone through in his life, then that doesn't happen. And so I wanted to go down this for a minute because you connected with him for a particular reason. All of Mm -hmm. the other speakers um, connected with him for a particular reason, and it brought the most amazing event together. And um, I think that that needs to be highlighted and the role authenticity and vulnerability plays in a successful business. It's it for me. It's everything, especially when you when you are the face of the business, right? So like for me and Mike and and a bunch of other people, but I am the face of Next Steps Media. There, you can't go talk to anybody else in the world about what my business is other than me, right? And with Mike, when the stuff that he's doing, you can't really go talk to anybody else other than Mike if you want to do business with them. 
So to have that level of authenticity is, is everything in a business. If you are not an authentic person who cares and who wants to help people succeed, like it's going to be tough for you to get, you know, and people do, I mean, I'm not saying it's, you know, that's not, it's not a blanket statement, but that's going to be tough to develop real relationship with people. You can be successful by being inauthentic, but you won't have real relationships. Well, and, and I don't think, I don't think your business will last either. You can be successful in a short period of time without being um, completely authentic. But eventually, right. like I tell this to my clients all the time when we're headed into court, I'm like, mm. you can't hide things mm. because the jury won't know what you're hiding. They'll just know mm. you're hiding something and they're yep. not going to believe you at all because of that. So yep. when it comes to like dancing around issues, you might be completely 100% telling the truth and you might be hiding something that's completely over here on the other side unrelated, but the jury can't see that. They just know something's not connecting. Absolutely. And I, I think with Mike, you can just tell that, you know, not, not that, you know, he's going to be somebody that's just going to walk up to you and give you his entire life story. But when you sit down and talk, with Mike, you feel genuinely listened to and appreciated. And you can have those conversations. Mike and I have had conversations about anything you want to talk about. All the things people say to stay away from at the dinner table, Mike and I have gone into about. And not into that we argue, but like, Mike's one of those people that you can just sit there and just talk with him about anything and you never feel pressed, you never feel pressured, you never feel sold to, you never feel like he's judging you, you never feel like you're going to say the wrong thing, right? Unless you say something about his mom, don't do that. Um, but yeah, it's just, he's such an authentic guy and he's so easy to be around because he lets you just be you and he doesn't, he doesn't need you to put on a front because he doesn't put one on. Yeah, absolutely. And frankly, I mean, I think that the old adage of you don't talk about these things at the dinner table is bullshit. I think that that comes from a place where people didn't want to open up because those things caused too much drama. So if right. I'm dealing with somebody who's authentic enough to say what they want to say and open-minded enough to not be an asshole about somebody else's opinion, then I'm yeah. going to have those conversations. If the person's absolutely. not those two things, then we're not going to yeah. get along anyways. Absolutely. And that's Mike is both of those things. And that's one of the, that's, one of my, cons nah, I don't know if it's a conspiracy or whatever, I'm not going to say I made it up, but I love the idea that people don't talk about how much they make it work. I think that's hysterical because, it, because your bosses don't want you to know that you've been there for 10 years and I've been there for six months and I make a dollar more than you do per hour. Yeah. So they tell you don't talk about, you know, it's not polite to talk about money at work. It's not that it's not polite. It's that they don't, they, they don't want you kicking down their door going, I've been there for 10 years. You know what I mean? Yeah, and absolutely. So I look, all the things that you're not supposed to talk about, those are my favorite conversations. I love those conversations. Oh, me you too. You to know about people. Well, and the other thing too, I mean, is think about how many unhealthy relationships with money being told that you can't talk about has created. I've had to completely change around my relationship with money because we get, when you're told don't talk about something, your brain mm -hmm. is like, why am I not supposed to talk about it? Like what's wrong with this thing? And then you start mm -hmm. pushing away money and you're poor for your entire life. And whether people want to believe it or not, you, you can't draw something into you energetically that you don't believe is good for you to have. So if you think that mm -hmm money is like this evil thing you're yeah. not gonna you're not gonna have it oh yeah uh, oh, we could get into all these <laughs> i know right I, my podcast editor is gonna be like dude shush yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I agree with you i think and i was raised in a household where they didn't talk about money a lot and and you know that's just personal preference i guess at that point but I was raised like that where you just didn't talk about money. We didn't do all this stuff. Like we didn't talk about who we voted for. Well, I mean, that was when I was younger. Now we, we definitely talk about all that stuff, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I, I like being able to talk about everything. I like being an open book. That's why I tell people you can ask me any question you want and I'll answer it. Now, well, I think that's what made you a good speaker to too. Thank I mean, God. I do. I think because I would never have guessed that that was your first speaking gig. When you told me that afterwards, I was, I was shocked. You did such a good job. So um, I, I, I thought it was amazing. One of the things that I want to ask you before we get into the random round to kind of close yes. this off. I got so excited when I read random round because there was nothing below it. And I was like, yes. Oh, you didn't get the second page? No. And I didn't <laughs> want it. It's even better. I don't want it. I want, I want to not know. So that I'm was like excited. the, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, but you don't get to know what they are. So surprise I moment. 
Yes. Okay, cool. This is the best. Well, that's good to know that my second page doesn't show up on the email I send out. So I should probably fix that. Thank you. Or maybe, or maybe I just didn't look well enough. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so one of the questions that I ask everybody, because it's really where this podcast is born out of, is- it does, it did show up. I just didn't uh, look. I ruined your surprise. No, no, no. But I didn't look at any of the questions though. Okay, cool. So yeah. one of the things that I like to ask everybody, because it's really where this podcast was born out of, is okay. I, what, what is your current definition of success and how has that changed throughout your life? Yeah. So success, when I was younger, success to me just meant that you were rich and famous. Um, and I think now success means to me that I am doing something that, that fulfills what I believe are my strong points in life. So for me, my biggest strength and my biggest passion is helping people. My biggest passion is not creating an Instagram post. That's not like a passion, but my, my, you know, Saba Ali talks about this calling her, she calls herself multi-passionate and it shows up in different realms. And I kind of love that she said that and I've stolen it, but don't tell her. Uh, <laughs> I, so my passion is for helping people and it will show up in a multitude of ways. So success for me is following that passion in, in however it manifests itself on a day-to-day -day basis, right? If, if I'm continuing to become a better me and a better version of who I am as a brother, as an uncle, as a father to be soon at some point, not that anybody's pregnant, but you know what I mean? Um, like as a husband, as, as a you know, as a son, as all those things, if I'm working every day to become better and better at those things, to me, that's a definition. That is a definition of success for me. I'm sure, first of all, that your girlfriend will be very happy that you cleared up that she's not pregnant. She's not, she is not pregnant. <laughs> Nobody is pregnant. Um, I'm I, I think it's really interesting knowing your story from what you've told us today, um, that you went from job to job. And then knowing also that while you were doing that, your definition of success was to be rich and famous, that like at some point in time, obviously your definition of success changed and you quit trying to find that rich and famous in, in jobs. Do you think it was that you finally realized that there was this other lifestyle out there? Or when do you think that that definition shifted for you? Uh... That's a really good question. I think the definition shifted before I started doing the job to job thing. Um, I think the definition for me shifted. And when I say back when I just thought it was rich and famous, I'm, I mean like when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and so when, when I left that, I think it was me starting to figure out that maybe I didn't, I didn't really want to be, I didn't want to be the rich and famous you know, not that I'm against anybody who is or whatever. It's just that I was chasing something that wasn't authentically me. I was chasing what the end result of what my authenticity could get me. Now, if I start this company and I become rich and famous, that's different than me chasing being rich and famous. I was chasing being authentically myself and helping people. And I just happened to get there. If I never get there, I, you know, it's not going to matter to me one way or the other. But well, I, think I think it, it also differently. I think it also depends on how you define rich and famous, right? Because I think that right. there are a lot of people that would say that if you're doing what you love and you're supporting yourself and your family and yeah. you're helping others, then you're already rich and you're famous to someone. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is my goal. My goal is to be not, you know, I don't mean this the way it's, my goal is to be a provider for my family, not like the provider or whatever, like, and we're not going down that road, but just like, you know, my girlfriend wants to be a provider for her family as well. I want to be a provider for mine. I want to be able to know that I can go out and that my family between her and I is taken care of, or me and my wife is going to be taken care of. And like, when we want to go do something, we can go do it as a family. Or when we want to do something, it's not, I always, I always hear people say, you know, I don't want to look at them. I don't want to look at a dinner menu from right to left anymore. Right. So that'll take people a couple seconds to figure it out, but they'll get it. Uh, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be comfortable. I want to be able to travel. I want money to not be a, a thing that we have to discuss before wanting to go do stuff. I want that freedom and that ability to, hey, for the next three weeks, we're going to go work at, you know, where your parents are living. Or in the next three weeks, we're going to go work where my parents are living. Or we're going to go work in, you know, wherever it is. 
and, and just having that ability to create that life for ourselves, I think for me is success. I 100% agree with you. Um, this isn't something that I've really talked about before, but I guess I'm talking about it now. Um, I'm actually considering scaling down my law firm for that reason. Um, and you know, I've wanted to start coaching for a little bit. Um, I definitely want to speak and get, get out there and do more speaking. And exactly what you just said is the thing. Like I can't be responsible for my clients and their court appearances and Mm -hmm have the freedom to work from where I want to and go to the speaking Mm -hmm. gigs that I want to the Mm -hmm. same way. And so I'm kind of trying to figure out how those things play together, but it's all exactly because of what you just said. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, I brought that up. Yay. So I think, um, I think this episode will come out in three weeks. So I got about three weeks to tell my family before they hear it here. No. (laughs) (laughs) So I love it. um, I love it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this surprise random round for you. Yes, thank you. All right, so (laughs) this first question may be a little hard for you to answer based upon your past experiences, but what profession other than the things that you have tried do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, professional wrestling. Oh, okay. 100%. Or uh, either either professional wrestling or professional basketball coach. Okay, so I you, still love coaching basketball. It's still a passion of mine. I love doing it. But if we're just going to go crazy for this round, professional wrestler, 100%. So you answered that super, super, super quickly, which makes me think you probably have your professional wrestling name picked out. I don't have a professional wrestling name picked out, but I had a pro wrestling podcast for a couple of years. And so I was big in the indie. No, I wasn't big, but I was into the Florida wrestling indie scene and a bunch of other stuff. And I've met a lot of cool people along the way. Just so you guys know, professional wrestlers are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Some of the nicest people. Perfect. So professional wrestling. If you could, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, I would. Um, who? Where would I go and why? I would go back to the 20s. Um, I would probably go back somewhere in that era because just because I wanted to. Just want to see what the Roaring Twenties actually meant. You know what I mean? And everybody's, you know, is everybody really dressed up that much? You know, the, the, uh, the world of music was changing. Jazz was exploding. Uh, speakeasies were a thing. Like, Prohibition was going to be a thing. Like, oh, just, I think going back to that time era would be awesome. And just getting that, that culture of what it was actually like back then in the, in the big cities back then. Dude, next time you come to Vegas, to Vegas, speakeasies are coming back. We have like three here and they're amazing. Um, They're so good. And then also, if you and your girlfriend ever want to take a trip out here, Vegas in true Vegas style does an abolitionist party every year where we celebrate the repeal of abolition. And they normally do it down on Fremont Street and everybody dresses up in 20s gear and they have like big band come. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I wonder how many... Are you, how many Roaring Twenties parties are going to happen for New Year's? Oh my gosh, I can't do the count back them, into I don't the 20s. think. It's going to yeah. be insane. It's going to be great. All right. What personality trait do you think has been most helpful to you throughout your career or throughout your life? Personality trait? Yes. Uh, I, think, I think my ability to um, help people feel at ease when they're talking to me. Love it. I've, I've heard that a lot, not that I'm going to get on, you know, an ego trip or anything, but the more people I talk to at professional levels and other levels, the more I hear like you've got a good vibe or when I talk to you, I feel like I can just relax and be me. Kind of what I was talking about Mike has, I've heard that before. And if that's something that I have, then uh, you know, I definitely want to play to it. And, and you know, that just kind of my, my loving outlook on life too, I think kind of helps. I don't really let a lot of stuff get to me. Again, it's the Texas in you. It's the Texas in me, absolutely. <laughs> Everything's 100%. the Texas in you. It really is. <laughs> Give me some Mexican food. We're good to go. Yes. All right. So you're reading a book. Do you have to hold the physical book or do you like ebooks or audiobooks? I have to hold the physical book. I am visual all the way. Got it. What are you reading now? Uh, I am reading a, I'm trying to think which book I want to give you. One is a 10x marketing strategy book. And the other one is actually a book that was given to me. uh, That's a book about 
it's a business book written by T.D. Jakes, and it's about how his business changed when he put tithing first. Ooh, I and like so that. from yeah, so and that's one of the biggest, maybe the biggest aspect in my life that I probably don't talk about a lot. Just just doesn't get asked, or I don't want to bring it up because I don't really want to get people uncomfortable. Is like my my spiritual life is the biggest thing for me um, in my life right now. Like if I if I don't have my relationship with God, then for me it's just it's not a good day that day kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I'm always that's I've been rooted in that. You know, I'm rooted in my faith. Like I, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I read books, you know, like that and. To see a book written by a big time pastor about the life of business and what changed his business life is just really cool. So I always try and, and stay close to that. I, I love it. And as we're talking about the importance of giving value to people first, um, you know, I'm not a religious person. I am a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I don't necessarily believe in tithing as a mandatory thing, but I believe in the impact that it makes in giving back to others in teaching sure. people to give back to others and i think that yeah. could be really powerful uh, yeah and i think one of the things that people don't talk about a lot is the you know the bible talks about giving 10 percent of your money but it uh, you can tithe of other things yeah like giving 10 percent of your time is just as valuable tithing your time is just as valuable Absolutely. Um, so you're talking to somebody and you can only give them one book to read that you think is going to change their life. What is it? One book to read that's going to change their life, the Bible. Okay. That's a real, I know, but I had to. No, no, no. no. You're not the first person to say that. So. All right. Well, that's good. Yes. That's good. Um, they're right. right. Whoever gave you that answer, they're right. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> um, music. What song oh, motivates man. you right now? What song motivates me right now? Lazarus by Tripoli, which was my walkout song for yes. my talk. That Love song it. is absolute fire. Love it. All right. So um, I'm a little afraid to ask you this based upon our conversation, but do you okay. have a morning routine right now? And if so, what is it? I do. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, we're developing it, right? It's an everyday thing where, you know, some days are better than others. But yeah, I, I get up. I've got an alarm set for a particular time. Uh, I'm up. Uh, go on a walk. Generally like to leave my phone when I go on the walk. Uh, I'll be out for probably over an hour and then I come back and then it's, you know, breakfast or something or shower or whatever, you know, that kind of particular thing changes, but then it's to the phone and to emails and I'm, you know, either at Panera or uh, somewhere working probably, you know, within than the first couple of hours of me getting up, but a lot of it is centered around. Cause what I found with me is my mental state is better when, when I'm healthier. So when I'm eating better, when I'm exercising, my mental state picks up. So I put, I put exercise and in, in physical health first and that'll help my mental state. Love it. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on today. I'm glad that we got yeah. to go down some rabbit holes. I mean, oh, these are some of my, fun favorite podcasts when we kind of get off track and are able to yeah. just have some real conversations. Absolutely. I was, when you, when you asked me the question about music, I got stoked. I didn't know where we we're going, but I love talking about different kinds of music. So music is my life, man. I feel yeah, like it's, it's been every part in every part of my life at some point in time. I actually do a music Monday in my Facebook community group every single oh, day. That's awesome. So, I'm in for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was telling Charlie, like, I, I grew up in Texas and Georgia, so I got two very distinct versions of country and rap. So that's what I grew up on. Yes. Well, now they're <laughs> mixing together. So I know, which is even better for me. This is awesome. But yes. yeah, I, I grew up on like Motown and Bee Gees and jazz and classical and country and hip hop. And oh, man, it's I've gotten everything. So I listen to it all. Love it. Well, I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.